Hello and welcome to Blood and Ashes, your brand new favorite Wheel of Time spoiler cast. Uh, I'm joined today by my two great friends, Jody. Hello, hello, hello. And Vili. Good day. Gentlemen, are you ready for this epic, epic journey? Indeed I am. We were born ready. <laughs> it's been at least 20 years of readiness of preparedness going into this so we'll be fine <laughs> it's it's the roles that we've been preparing for our whole lives everything else led up to this yes so um we are obviously going to be talking a lot about spoilers so if you've somehow made it past the episode descriptions and the teaser trailer highlighting the fact that this is a spoiler cast be warned we will be spoiling the entirety of the wheel of time on an almost constant basis um we will also be prone to using some profanity as our passion for the series bleeds through the microphones. Um, so just be aware of the fact that if you listen to this in the car with the kids on the way to school, maybe switch to the Wiggles. Um, okay, now gentlemen, before we get started, I thought it might be a good idea for all three of us to give the listeners a bit of a brief history um, of our own uh, relationship with the Wheel of Time. I'm um, starting with you, Vili. Uh, when did you start reading the books and how much of the series have you actually read? I have uh, read up to book 11 and then life uh, caught up with children and such. But uh, I was introduced to this series by yourself at uh, the young age of 22, I believe. And uh, it's been a constant in my life, uh, a good topic of discussion when we get together. Uh, so I'm all too happy that uh, we are doing this at the moment. I believe you've also owned multiple sets of the actual books. <laughs> yes. Again, buying a whole new set. Excellent. It is good to do. How about you, Joe? Uh, very similar. I was probably around the same age and also introduced to it by you, Moritz. Uh, I do recall a very, very poignant moment. Sitting at uh, sitting at Triton's, eating a plate of chips with you on my lunch break with Tabasco sauce and a pint, and you're telling me all about Trollocs and trying to get me to read the books. I, I remember that clear as day. That tracks. That, that was good. I, I'll give this a try. I must have been in the early 20s as well, yeah. And then after that, just you just took over my life, as this series does. This, is, this will be my third reread. I mean, my, I suppose technically my second reread. But uh, yeah, third time reading it. So hopefully I can get a bit more out of it this time. I'm sure, I mean, surely every time you read it, you get more out of it. And with this read through, the entire point of this podcast is to squeeze every last bit of joy and enjoyment out of this reread. Well, you've, you've called the right two guys for that. <laughs> I sure did. Um, I started reading the series when I was in high school. I think I was probably about 16. I was on a bus trip once and I had a guy sit next to me on the bus, an old friend of ours who um, basically told me the entire plot of The Eye of the World in an hour and a half, um, <laughs> after which I then went and obviously read the book and kept going until I caught up with the books around book eight. I was in my final year of high school um, when the books started coming out as they were published, so I had to wait. Um, and yeah, I think I read the entire series up until the point when Robert Jordan passed away. Um, and then reread up until his last book before Brandon Sanderson's first um, edition came out. Um, and then obviously kept reading on from there, which was only three books. But um, yeah, call it my third reread with a couple of gaps in there. For sure. Okay, so Jody, why don't you get us started on the prologue? Oh, yes. Yield prologue, Dragon Mount. Uh, yeah. This is a writing technique that I've, I've, there's a couple of Brandon Sanderson videos online if, you, uh, if you're keen to watch them. He uh, has a, a university course and you can watch all of his videos online for free, all these classes. I've watched a bunch. Ah, yeah, <laughs> I figured as much. So anyway, one of these writing techniques is that you just drop the reader straight into something fantastical like this. Don't start at the beginning like in chapter one. So this prologue is exactly that. We are dropped... Uh, into uh, a scenario yeah it was the first time we meet uh, Luz Theron and on this note I also did try to do some research and I tried to watch that FX series uh the <laughs> pilot that they did emphasis on tried tried like I remember I watched it once and I got through it but the second time I just couldn't do it it's just incredibly bad 
I thought I would glean something from it, but that didn't happen. Uh, just one thing from that, that uh, what, where I lost the plot was when Luz is running around the, the, the palace calling for his family. He calls for his son, who is named Luz Jr., and then I thought, no, <laughs> that's a oh bit liberal. God. Yeah, I'm I, don't, I don't even remember that, and I'm glad I don't. <laughs> Just take my word for it. All right, you don't need to go back down that road. So anyway, we meet uh, we meet Luz. Uh, the, the setting is great. I love it. I love the beginning of it, and the earth rumbling, and everything is you know everything stuffed up, and he's running around. So then we meet Moradin as well. This is our first introdu- introduction. I suppose the first time you read it, you're kind of like, all right, this is the dark one. This is the big bad guy. But yeah, as we know. He is a big bad guy, but not the big bad guy. So, uh, yeah, traveling effect as well is something I noticed in this in this section. Uh, when he enters the room, the air shimmers uh, as opposed to the to the normal way of traveling of the the beam of light opening and, and mm. rotating to step through. So we get a right off the bat, we get that uh, introduction to the true power and how it works differently. A um, couple of other things that popped out for me in this in this reread was that we know at this point at least that Luz Theron is saying that. It's been 10 years for this battle. So we know that the battle has, well, the war has been has lasted 10 years. And that's how long it took for them to close the, the bore again. But of course, this battle has been raging on for, for eternity. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that uh, when they when he introduces himself again as Luz, Theron, Telamon, and the, the three named things. So I was looking again because, you know, I've got that big white, the big white book, the companion book for the Wheel of Time, just doing a little yeah. reading of the of the uh, age of legend so uh yeah the, everyone's born with two names that's why everyone the, the the most important people have three you have to earn that third name by doing great deeds for society so that kind of optimistic uh, future utopia that the age of legends is and now everything is destroyed and and yeah uh, moving on like that so uh yeah things that also popped up the the nine rods of dominion uh, we, we we assume that one of those rods is still around the oath rod that the Aes Sedai use, and it pops up a lot later on in the book. Yeah, full mm-hmm. on, straight into spoilers, by the way. So, <laughs> <laughs> there's none of that. So yeah, it just um, uh, reminded me a lot of the at the Age of Legends, which is like my favorite part of this whole series. That 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 great utopian time that everyone lived in. They didn't even know about war. They had never even heard of the Dark One. They were just living in utter hippie utopia. And uh, had to learn very quickly and learn very well the arts of war. And there was the, things like the, teaching their children. This is all stuff that I'm getting from the companion, right? Not from the book itself. Mm. But yeah. just to give people some background into the Age of Legends. That yeah. uh, the, when the war took over and they had to change their way of life, that they started training the kids from 10 years old to be warriors before they taught them about art and music, for example. So it was wow. a huge, huge shift in, in their, their way of life. Um, so yeah, the, the boar as well, some interesting information about that, that, um, that was actually discovered by Lanfear and made by her. Um, she was a scientist back in the day and they were, they were investigating this, this scent, this, this source of power that they had discovered and, uh, she was trying to get to it and she's actually the one that created the boar. She was known by a different name back then, but, uh, yeah, but anyway, so that's, that's an interesting piece of trivia that I found. Mm. So this is all her fault. <laughs> <laughs> she seems very unapologetic. Did you ever read the short story, um, The Strike at Child Ghoul? I did. I had it all printed out. I think uh, you printed it out yeah. at university for me on the university printers. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember that. Yeah, I do. But I don't it's, remember the it's details. It's got a lot of cool info about like the, because it's presented, Robert Jordan wrote it as a piece of history from within the world. So it reads like a history yes, textbook, but yeah. um, it's got cool bits of information in there um, about how the, um, the, the male and the female Aes Sedai, by and large, were um, of differing opinions about how to deal with the mm. boar, like once they broke exactly. through. Um, and they built those massive Sa'angriel. And, um, but Luz Theron was saying, no, I want to take the 100 companions and go straight to the boar and seal it up there. Yeah, well, there was only 100 because nobody else wanted to go with him. Uh, yeah. and thank God the women didn't go with him. Otherwise, the female side would have been tainted as well. So totally. that does, yeah. <laughs> Good choice, ladies. Yeah. <laughs> Without going into too much detail, but the, 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 the Dragon Mount introduction just gives us a, a glimpse into Luz Theron and the madness of the taint and that we know that it's been 10 years, so we're setting the stage. And then, of course, he gets healed and the healing very, very different with the true power mm-hmm. to the one power. Uh, a lot of pain involved. And yeah. then uh, as his, his uh, uh, you know, becomes more lucid, 
sees everyone that he's killed, realizes that he's the one that's that's murdered everyone because he, first he thinks it's Morden that's that's come and killed his whole family and all the servants and everything. Uh, yeah, and then of course travels next to the river where we uh, where he draws on the power and creates Dragon Mount and that epic epic scene which I. I really hope the TV show nails because I hope they get it in there. That guy drawing on the power and creating a volcano next to a river. That is, that's going to be some epic TV. Um, yeah. They do it right. And then you're creating the island that uh, Tar, Tarvalon, Tarvalon, depending on how you pronounce it, is mm-hmm. one, in one day created. So yeah, really setting the scene. I, I love that introduction. I've read it to prepare for this podcast like five times already. <laughs> Did you guys... Did you guys feel anything in terms of um, when when Luce Theron is walking around the palace and he's looking around at all the dead bodies and stuff? And mm. he, I think it's after he's healed and he realizes that Ilyana that he's been you know shouting for the whole time, his wife and his children are mm. all are all lying there slain by mm-hmm. his hand. Reading that as a father sounds corny now, but mm-hmm. reading that as a dad that hit me way harder than it did when I was. In high school, you know, like I just read, okay, cool, yeah, he killed everyone around him. Of course, he was mad and super powerful. But reading that now and him recognizing that he did that to his own family, I have a much better understanding of his uh, mental state when he did go to that empty, empty field and drew on Sidon and created a volcano where he stood. Like um, I can understand that now. I now that you mention it, yes. Well, let's be honest. Yeah, he was already at a very poor mental state with uh, one power. And Mm -hmm. uh, at that moment of realization, he just used that power to totally decimate himself. um, And I mean, you can understand that if you have that moment of lucidness after pure insanity and you see that you killed your kids, that's, that's pretty intense. That's fucked up. Yeah, it's pretty. <laughs> oh, fun. there it is. <laughs> Just earned an R rating. Thing one. Um, did you guys also notice now? I might be just looking for stuff to talk about now, which is probably true. But I mean, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, when they are describing the palace in the prologue that he had destroyed, um, they make mention of lightning that sort of moved down the corridors. You know, like this. Mm. They, they, he creates the sense that it was almost alive. I seem to recall something very similar being channeled by Rand in the Stone of Tear. Yes, that's yep. correct. He uh, took everyone out with one lot of lightning that ran along the roof. All the shadows. All the shadows spawn. Yeah. And um, now on this reread is the first time I drew that connection. It's like, okay, Rand was doing some of the exact same quote-unquote spells or weaves mm. that um, that Luce Theron was doing. So, yeah, I just yeah. picked up on that. The the question is there, was it Ran or was it Lewis at that time? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, we're going to be debating that a lot. <laughs> a, lot a lot of debating coming. <laughs> we haven't even got out of the prologue yet. <laughs> no. It's only another four and a half million words to go. Don't worry, guys. We'll be yeah. <laughs> Um. What else? Vili, is there anything else about the prologue that stood out to you that you that you want to just highlight or discuss? Yeah, it's uh, it was very interesting for me. The The prologue is really flowery, very well written, very descriptive. Um, but there was items that were undamaged, tapestries on the walls that were, but weren't burnt, that was just absolutely perfect still. So it was as if the chaos was focused and it wasn't random. It's not like a bomb went off. It was focused murder as a part yeah. to focus destruction. And that focused murder became reality and then ultimately became his own destruction. So I think there's, there's something more probably to be read into that. Um, but yeah, that stood out for me. I, um, I also enjoyed, or enjoyed, but took note of the fact that when uh, Ishmael or Belzmon, as he was known, um, as he's telling Lewis Theron about the eternal battle between light and dark and how the whole quest of the of the dark um, I keep wanting to say the dark side um, how the um, how the quest is to to break the wheel of time and end the flow of time indefinitely um, how you know these these forces are destined to do battle um, 
for eternity and how if the the good guys are condemned to either eternal battle or defeat mm. and how the bad guys are either going to be locked in eternal battle or gain victory like the only real victory state is there for the bad guys so you know good luck boys at <laughs> least <laughs> they get a break every couple of thousand years and forget about it all and yeah they can put their feet up grow some proper <laughs> crops yeah so Vili, do you want to take us into chapter one? Yes, and uh, by far my most favorite chapter in everything that I've read. This I have reread this chapter now a couple of times for this uh, recording, um, but it sets a perfect scene. It's a perfect introduction to building tension. Uh, we've got Rand and Tam leading the down the quarry road to get into Emmonsfield for the Baltine Festival, shipping some. Uh, uh, brandy and some uh, ale with them and uh, yeah it's uh, very very dense it's cold very little life no animal noises it is a scene set almost out of a horror movie uh, Rand is walking with his bow and arrow in his hand arrows knocked he's he's kind of on edge the whole time and uh, he proceeds to see the dark rider which we all know now is the Madral or the fade shadow man goes by many names but uh, very very importantly at the moment that he gazes into his eyes he feels hate and in the moment he feels that hate his forearms on the inside of his arms prickles so mm -hmm. to the point where he had to let go of his bow to scratch his arm uncertain about what it was and that that kind of stood out there at that point now if you don't know what that means it plays a little bit into those dragon tattoos I think Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, he, he trips over a stone, falls over, gathers himself on Bella's reign and uh, proceeds to tell Tam, obviously, about this. And Tam doesn't see anything, but Tam doesn't disregard him completely, which is a great thing. I mean, Tam has been set up to be such a solid character, uh, a man of, of, of loads of experience. And we get to learn it later on in the chapters as well. But they make their way through that episode, get into the town, and we get a full introduction, obviously, of all the characters. Uh, a few of them, uh, Matt, uh, we speak about Perrin already in that introduction when uh, it's his two best friends, Matt and Perrin. And uh, we uh, get into Emmonsfield then. Pleasantries gets exchanged, some not-so-pleasantries. <laughs> uh, obviously, we've got some cynics in the village that's not happy with the wisdom. The Wisdom being a young woman at the stage, uh, naive and uh, constant complaining. Uh, they haven't even made it to the inn and they were already cornered by a bunch of people complaining to Tam about this. Now Tam sits on the village council and uh, he seems to be the most level-headed person on the council as well. And uh, yeah, so as soon as they get there, eventually the mayor invites Tam into the inn and uh, Rand and Matt are tasked with unloading the barrels of ale and Matt just wants to get on moving uh, to go and release a badger that he had caught with one of his mates, <laughs> mischievous Matt. Well, he's got another plan. He's just got a badger ready to go. But uh, when Matt prompts uh, Rand that uh, has he has heard about it, Rand immediately mentions, oh, did you also see a dark rider? Which completely threw Matt off because he had, didn't believe anyone else had also seen this dark rider cloaked figure. Um, and going more into that, it's untouched by the wind cloak, covered from mm. toes, a black on a black horse, no face, and the feeling of utter hate when both boys experiencing that this guy must either be the dark one and actually names it down um, where Rand draws some sanity and says, no, he's bound with the Forsaken. So we get the mention of uh, the dark one, the Forsaken. The, the boys are actually aware of these characters. It's Although it is a whole age past that they've been locked down, they still remember it. The Forsaken is still being used in bedtime tales to scare the kids to go to bed. Yeah. So it's... Uh, something that is really weighing heavy on them uh, at that stage um and now we got two people that has seen this person 
and both of them spoke to their parents about it, their dads. Yeah. It's cool that we get sort of drip fed these, um, these hints of concepts and um, people and creatures and places and stuff super early. Like, I mean, chapter one, you're seeing a fade. People are talking about the dark one and the forsaken. And I mean, those are all pivotal um, roles in the story throughout the series. Yeah, there's uh, there's no build up to these big characters on the dark on the from the dark. They no. they are named out front, uh, but yeah. there's a lot of time spent in building up the characters that walk in the light. A lot of slow progression of that characters that get built up, which is fantastic for me. I mean, I absolutely loved it. Did you guys see who has been cast as Tam in the TV show? No, we haven't. I haven't. It's Roose, Roose Bolton from Game of Thrones. Ooh. I'm wondering <laughs> about that. Oh, I'm torn. <laughs> yeah, because of his, his past roles. Um... <laughs> He's not going to be playing anyone. He'll always be Roose Bolton. That son of a... I, um, I actually don't mind it. I'm just wondering if the TV series is going to... Because as they do with many of these books, there's so many characters. If they're going to start combining characters... Uh, and getting rid of inevitably, and I wonder if one of those is going to be Tam because in the beginning of the book you kind of get this feeling that Tam is a major major uh, player. You know, so mm. he's going to be setting everything up. He's the head, you know, the level-headed guy that that Billy was talking about. Yeah. They might combine combine him with some other characters down the road because in the books he's there, and then in the beginning, and then just disappears for like eight books or something. You never hear from him again. Yes, and I actually found it quite um, not disappointing because that's puts too much of a negative spin on it but i was i was kind of hoping for a bit more um focus on tam again in the later books mm. um he he's around again um and i mean like not just for a little bit like he's traveling with rand like he's mm. leading the two rivers at bowman um but he takes very much a backseat like mm. he, i don't think there are actually any chapters from his point of view um yeah he's sort of just also there and i was hoping to get more out of that um, reunion between Rand and his dad and then his dad being there for him. Yeah. Um, but I guess at that point, Rand had already changed so much and he had sort of gained a lot of support and, you know, father figures along the way. Lan. Yeah, I think Lan takes over that that role of the uh, the character role of Tam and kind of having both of them there along for the journey kind of be, I suppose, redundant. And Moraine. And Moraine, yes. Anything else about that one? Pretty straightforward. See a fade on the road, get to town, unload the booze. <laughs> get ready to party. It's winter night. Yeah. And and also, Matt is there. I think all three of us at some point have said that Matt is our favorite character. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. He's definitely my Ah, Perrin's a little bit of a... Yeah, he's a bit boring. Uh, no offense. <laughs> so stern. Matt, has got a badger up his sleeve. He's ready to go. <laughs> He'll flower your dogs. Watch out. <laughs> So, okay, so the next chapter is Strangers. Um, Matt and Rand unload the cart. They're busy walking into the, the cellar of the inn and they run into uh, Bran, Elvia's wife, and blah, blah, blah. They uh, are sort of just chit-chatting while they're busy unloading the casks. And um, another younger boy shows up, Ewan, uh, who I think they say is 14 or something. And they make mention of the fact that the years between Rand and Matt and Ewan um, sort of usually make them disregard everything he says, which means that Rand and Matt are obviously at least a couple years older than 14. Um, mm. I think I've always imagined them around 17, 18, around there. Yeah, I'm sure that there's an official age for them in a guidebook somewhere along the line. Probably. Or yeah. Pieced but together yeah. from multiple clues. <laughs> uh, but that's sort of just what I've always had in my mind. Um, and he tells them that strangers arrived in the town um, the previous night and <laughs> Ewan tells them that uh, Moraine called Nynaeve child and oh, that yeah. also sent her off the rails so now, by this stage I think two or three people have already made mention of Nynaeve's, um, Nynaeve's temper um, but they go outside uh, from the inn and they're you know on the way to go look for everything I mean it's Beltine festival there's a lot of action in town um, they're these strangers that Ewan just told them about. They know that the peddler's on his way. Matt has, you know, heard rumor of a glee man. And as they walk outside, they uh, they notice this raven on the uh, on the roof across the across the road. Because before they actually see the raven, Rand feels again. He can feel on his skin 
someone is watching him. And he immediately looks up and makes eye contact with this raven that seems to be staring straight at him. And while he's looking at this thing, you know, thinking hateful thoughts towards this raven, um, because he's tired of being watched, um, he realizes Matt is standing next to him and he's having the same thing. So, you know, it seems pretty obvious that the raven is watching both of them. So they both quickly dip down, grab a rock, throw it at the raven that just hops out of the way and just looks at them again. And they're both pretty taken aback at that. They've never seen a raven behave that way. Mm. And then suddenly the raven sort of shrieks and it just launches the word they use is violently up into the sky to the point where there's just like a couple of feathers floating where it was. And it's um, Moiraine standing behind them that's joined them. And uh, I'd never thought of this, but I wonder if she channeled at it. You know, probably. she might have actually channeled something because she can convince herself, you know, it's shadow spawn, so she can use the power as a weapon and probably chased it away because she knows that they are servants of the dark one yeah but this is cool is that they are they both the both of their aims are true like if that thing hadn't yeah. moved they would have both <laughs> hit it with the stones like Vigors you don't mess can with handle these kids yeah. yeah yeah um so then i mean obviously okay so now all the boys meet moraine and she introduces herself to them um in this exchange she gives both matt and rand a coin that she deliberately folds into their hand with both of her hands uh, and she tells them you know now that i've given you this coin we have a bond you know sort of under the pretenses that i might call on you for some errands or something like that but mm. everyone's reading between the lines you wouldn't get some other coin that's not special and he's already thinking about <laughs> spending it but Rand and matt decide they are not going to spend this spend this money um and while i was reading this obviously as a reread i'm i'm reading about moraine uh, talking to the boys and there's no mention of lan which is odd because warders are, are always there. And then sure enough, at the end of the chapter, as Moraine walks away, a man that they hadn't noticed before, tall man, chiseled features, moves like a wolf, the cloak of uh, gray and green and brown that just blends into the background, moves away from the door at the end. And of course, yeah. Lan was there the whole time, always in control, always knew what was going on. Yeah. Classic Lan. Classic Lan. Um, <laughs> it's just... Yeah, the, the, the waters immediately captured my imagination when I read the books the first time. That definitely does. Uh, there's a lot of good description around him. Uh, a very strong big man that moves lightly and quickly and is yeah. not seen. It's, yeah, fantastic. Have you seen the casting for Lan for, this, for the show, who it is? I have. I've actually watched a video of him talking about being on the show as well. Uh, what do you think of his casting? Uh, I like it. I like it. He's a he's a guy that's um, performed in a lot of physical roles. Um, he seems to know what he's talking about when it comes to fight choreography, which is what the video was about that I watched. Right. Um, and then he also just mentioned that um, he's worked on some big movies um, and some TV shows, I think. But he said that the sets and things that he saw for the show are unlike anything he's ever seen. So that all bodes well, well for the quality of the production value of the show. I read the other day as well, the production has restarted after the whole COVID-19 lockdown. Yes. So we are on track for a 2021 TV show, Woo. which I'm sure is going to disappoint in thousands of people <laughs> and have the complete opposite effect on others. <laughs> um, they give a, a quick um, physical description of, of Moren as well, obviously. They uh, mention her ageless looks, mm. uh, the fact that she is attractive. Um but they also mentioned that she barely reaches Rand's chest. She's very small. She's very diminutive. She's tiny, yeah. But she carries an air of grace and authority that makes it seem like everyone that t that's taller than her um, is lanky and gangly. You know, like she's the right height. Everyone else is too tall. <laughs> yeah. And they, um, they also mentioned the little stone that, that she's wearing on a thin chain that's hanging on her forehead. And... I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure that's also an Ungreal. I think it is, yes. It is, yes. I think you find that out later. Yeah, and I mean, the, the chapter just ends with the peddler arriving. Oh, yes. That guy. That guy. Um, oh, we're going to earn our R rating in this chapter. <laughs> yes. That son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Joe, why don't you take us to the peddler? Yeah. Uh, kind of luck of the draw to get this chapter to review. So anyway, this dick arrives in town in a giant wagon. Um, 
you know, right off the bat, you can look at this guy and go, he's not, I don't like him. You know, you, you have no idea how much you're going to dislike him. <laughs> but when he arrives, you know, he's, he's self-important. He, he, you know, people describe him as, you know, he's the, he's the peddler that comes once or twice a year, whatever. But he, he thinks of himself as a glee man. He's got all these big stories and his gestures. and he, he really thinks he is just the bee's knees. And uh, yeah, so he arrives, everybody's running out to get their get their needles <laughs> their yearly <laughs> supply of needles that their wife sent them to get everybody's excited of course you know they get in this whole small town environment you know the simple folk the whole hero's journey storyline again mm -hmm. like rand is really from backwater town um yeah so that you know you go you get to go shopping once a year and uh the, the peddler's in town so he gives them a brief but he brings all the bad news all right there's war in Geldian, and then there's you know the false dragon has risen up and blah 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 everybody's freaking out um and yeah as he starts opening his big mouth the uh the town council is there so you know they 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 rope him in and drag him into the into the inn to go have a fat chat with him and uh yeah and basically then everyone's left around waiting so there we have old uh old matt and perrin and Rand. now we've discovered that all three of them have seen the 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 rider in black i'm pretty sure at this point if i recall correctly Mm -hmm. And uh, we're chatting to Egwene as well, who we meet there, um, and Aniv as well, because she's just shadowing in Aniv everywhere she goes, because she's supposed to be the yeah. apprentice or something. So yeah, uh, so we meet all the and all the kids are hanging out together. So this is like Beltine night, you know. This is the the night of the big party once a year. All the kids are gathering, all the friends are getting together. Um, but you know, like like Billy mentioned earlier, you got this this undertone of. of tension building uh mm. supposed to be this great night but there's just bad news and it's cold and uh, crops are failing and everybody's suspicious and but anyway this is something as well that that reminded me of the when they unlocked the well, when they drew the drilled the, the bore into the dark one's prison that it wasn't mm. enough for him to come out but enough for him to influence the world and everybody yeah. just immediately got suspicious everybody got angry or everything all the negative aspects of humanity are brought out because of his touch on the world. And, and this is exactly what's happening here as well. Everybody's just suspicious. Everybody's angry. I mean, he's, the seals on his prison are weakening, so you can see this in the world. And um, yeah, and basically in, the, in, this, in this chapter, all we get to see really is, um, is the introduction of Peyton Fane and, and the kids getting together and de describing their, their uh, experiences with this rider in black, with this with withdrawal, obviously, that we find out later. So um, then... Uh, yeah, basically, that's all I got from this chapter. I didn't get yeah. much further than that because in the next chapter, you know, more stuff happens. But yeah, it's just everybody getting together. They can't, they, the, Peyton Fane is the main character of this chapter, but they just take him out and put him in a room with the, the town council for yeah. the rest of the chapter. So we don't really know what's happening. But uh, yeah, that's, that's as far as I got. Did you guys get anything that I perhaps didn't get from this chapter? Yeah, Peyton Fane's an arsehole. <laughs> <laughs> I got that. Like, I mean, the first time you read the story, it's it's obvious. It's written in such a way that there can be no doubt as to whether you should be liking this person or not. He has a, a joyless laugh. He never gets close to anyone. He has this air of self-importance. He thinks that everyone should be listening to him. I mean, Rand at one point says, just trying to shout over the noise of the crowd at Perrin, you know, we'll do something later. But as as he says the last sentence, Peyton Fane had climbed up on the wagon, so everyone kept quiet. So Rand shouted out, yes, later. Yeah. Um, and Peyton Fane just reacts and he goes, no. I'll talk now, sort of thing. You know, it's just like oh, fuck off, man. And now on a reread, you already know he's at this point. He's already a dark friend and has been a dark friend for ages. So, yeah, just straight up fuck this guy. I think that may have affected my reread of this chapter because I don't remember much. Probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Selling stuff, get out of here. The only thing that I now on this reread am trying to do is when they talk about things like war in Gildan and that someone has raised the, um, the dragon banner. Mm. Um, everyone, uh, well, I don't know, everyone, I think Tam or someone comments or thinks that, you know, oh, Gildan, that's so far away, you know, it's oh, like yeah. it's this place of legend. It's their neighboring country. <laughs> it's right around the corner. I mean, okay, granted, they've got some natural barriers between them and Gildan, the White River and the Shadow Forest or Forest of Shadows, something like that, some place that everyone, no one has gone to and returned, and everyone just sort of agrees it's a hundred miles of forest with no roads or farms, and there's just bears and wolves. Yeah. So, you know, people don't don't go there much, and it speaks a bit to why um, people keep referring to Eamon's Field as sort of this backwater town, because 
it really is closed off from the rest of the world. They've got a massive swamp bog called the Maya on, on, the, on the eastern side and on the western side is the Mountains of Mist. So the only way you can actually get, no one can cross the River White, which is to the south. So the only way you can get to Eamon's Field is coming down over the Tarran River at Tarran Ferry, coming via Watch Hill, coming down, down, down the road, and then you get to Eamon's Field and then Devon Ride is even further south, right at the, at the actual River White. So, um, yeah, so peddlers, glee men, um, strangers like Moraine and Lan, you know, that look like lords and ladies arriving in Eamon's Field is a massive surprise to people because they just do not go there. Nobody goes there. Um, it's also why later in the books, you know, the, the people from Eamon's Field almost don't think of themselves as citizens of Andor. Yeah. Like they're just, they're, they're this own, like, just leave us alone. We're just here doing our own thing. Just don't bother us. Um, but yeah, like Gildan, where, Logan is raising the the dragon banner is not that far away guys don't get too don't get too complacent yeah as the crow flies it's it's yeah it's literally they share a border with him yeah but that yeah is true what you say and well chosen by by uh by tam i mean he was looking for the arse end of the world to hide the dragon reborn or this kid he found on a mountain yeah uh so yeah good good place to do it totally Yep, so not a lot out of that chapter. Um, Vinny, you want to take us to the next one? Yeah, this is a great one. Uh, absolutely great one. We get introduced to the Gleeman now. Tom Merrillan, a fantastic man. He's uh, snow white hair, snow white eyebrows, big fl- big moustache, deep blue eyes, um, and noticeably upset. He arrived the night before in the village, late at night. They had to bash the door and wake people up. Nearly got his head bitten off by the mayor for coming so late and traveling so late at night. Obviously, not something you are supposed to do. But um, in his own words, the idiots told him it would be a day's ride to the next village, but they didn't tell him he had to leave early. So he (laughs) came late. And uh, as he walked down from waking up in the inn, he got downstairs and sort of got shied out by the stairs of men. So again, made his way outside to see the gathering crowd. And uh, immediately made eye contact with uh, Rand, uh, noticeably because Rand is so much taller. And then we got the first description of he's likened to an Ail man mm-hmm. and uh, with the same reddish hair. And he said, you're not from here, looking at Rand. Uh, then a little bit later on, oh, let's go back because he also makes a reference to Pate and Fane. Uh, he says uh, that uh, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> there's a reference to him uh, He's more raven than man, and he's quick Mm -hmm. to carry bad news. Uh, So he clearly knows him, and he's already got a dislike for him. Uh, Then, uh, yeah, Tom uh, decides to obviously do what Gleemans does and uh, do a backflip somersault onto a (laughs) stone foundation, old stone foundation, and immediately starts juggling three balls and give them a little sampler of what he's going to be doing for them that night, because after all, he's there to make money through stories and musical instruments. Hmm. So that gets going there. The crowd gathers. They're demanding what stories he'll be telling. He pretty much gives them snippets. We've got little examples of stories that get raised, and then people start yelling out. And one of them that stands out is Seguin, uh, asking him to tell the story of someone that flew up in the fiery belly of a, dr- a dragon. Len that flew to the moon in the belly of a eagle made of fire or something. So there's mm-hmm. all these stories that point back to the ages and continuously things that touch on it, which is really great. Um, Perrin and Rand and Matt are now together. And they kind of want to talk about this thing because we also learned that Perrin has also seen the dark, uh, Rider in dark. And uh, as all of this starts clearing out and finally the Gleeman is allowed to go back in uh, to the inn to have now finally a glass of mulled wine and a pipe. Uh, Probably some of that brandy. Probably some of that. Actually, it was the brandy. He wanted to go in oh. muttering under his breath, it's time for a brandy, when Sen came <laughs> out with his cynical comments and <laughs> continuously making uh, cynical comments, that old man. Uh, then uh, Tam pulls Rand aside and says, no, get the horse, we're going, we're leaving. 
And uh, it, well, Rand knows better to argue with Tam about such things, and he listens. Basically, He's, he was upset mm. that they're not staying for winter night, but um, they gather their things. Rand puts his cloak on. He gets his arrow again. Knocks an arrow, and they start doing the quarry road walk back to the westward where they farm. Uh, and when they were a decent distance out of the town. Uh, Tam decided to start speaking to Rand and also informs him that two other boys in the town had seen the Dark Rider. So it's a total of five of them. Uh, ben and Lem also reported to their parents of seeing on the edges of the village this Dark Rider. Uh, and this has now uh, got Tam spooked. Uh, they agreed to set up uh, patrols between Devon Ride and Watch Hill. Uh, mm -hmm. Just you know, giving the village the story that, look, it's probably people fleeing from the war or mm. just, a, just a sheep thief or a chicken thief, but we'll scare him off by putting up these patrols and getting it done. Uh, but Tam is very wary. Uh, he also said to Rand, like, this is now the time to be a little bit more vigilant and that's why he wants to get back to the farm. Um which is a massive bummer because it's winter night. It's like the big party night before the Beltine Festival the next day where everyone's going to everyone's houses and everyone's socializing and everything. And Tam says, okay, let's grab the horse back on the old road, back to the farm in the middle of nowhere, just you and me. Yeah, Rand's got a big night planned with his girl, the queen. Mm -hmm. Maybe sneak a first kiss in there or something. No, 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 no. Totally <laughs> blocked by his dad. Cock -block. Cock blocked. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Dad. So, well, Rand immediately also has a very big sense of relief now that uh, he does feel that Tam believes him. And he wanted to turn around to go back to tell Matt and Perrin, hey, they believe us, that this is real, it's not us. So uh, they're obviously feeling a great sense of responsibility and also wants to join in on the watch they want to be part of the patrols they are becoming yeah. men now they then th that plays into them sort of being that 17 18 year old age uh, they also mentioned that all those boys are of age to get married at that festival it's kind of the dancing around the pole that was set up in the green all the girls that are of age are going to dance around the pole and the men's got to sing and i think he was hoping for his lovely queen there a lot of pole dancing going on Sounds like a great time. Yeah. Um, we also see um, Tom meet Moran. Tom is on the wall, busy oh, telling a story and juggling. And when Moran comes up to him, he stops. He stops talking and he catches all the balls. He puts everything away and he stops his entire performance. Um, and they have a bit of an exchange. Now, Vili, I don't know if you actually know this. But the spoiler warning at the start of this episode is obviously also aimed at you since you've only read up to book 11. And Tom and Moraine actually end up together. No way. In a romantic capacity. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, Billy's mind is blown. <laughs> so um, it was very interesting reading this exchange in that light because it is sort of like, you know, they are being sort of coy with each other because she talks about, you know, like she she likes some stories, but she doesn't like others. And Tom's like, don't worry, you're going to like all my stories. Don't you worry about <laughs> nah, that. A lot of that comments make sense because they do exchange good pleasantries. Uh, but Rand picks up that Tom is noticeably upset with her being in the village. Like he, That's when he walks into the inn sort of rumbling under his breath about time to get a brandy. Now, think yeah. about first thing in the morning going to Sweet Brandy. It's you kind of hit the ales first with some mild wine, <laughs> but he's going straight for the brandy. It's a natural order to these things. <laughs> it's your mild wine before your brandies. That's the uh, the universal order of things. Come on, man. But yeah, we find out a lot about uh, old Tom's past. He's a colorful dude. I mean, I said die in the mix. There's a couple of queens in there too, or maybe just mm -hmm. one. So yeah, he's a man of the world. He's, he's one of the Quite. biggest characters in the whole series for me up into where I read. There's a huge amount that he brings to the story. Totally. I also love him. He is, he is, 
great. Like he, he's almost too good to be true, you know, to have this wizened old man of the world who also just happens to be extremely athletic for an old guy and can <laughs> throw a knife across a room and hit a card against the wall, you know, like he can do all kinds of cool shit that is, um, that is really great to read. It really translates well into, into this kind of setting. I'm wondering if the story and the order of the chapters is done like this on purpose by Robert Jordan, first introducing Peyton Fane, and then it's like the juxtaposition, the next one we get Tom Marilyn, because they are completely mm. opposite characters. Yeah, after reading about Peyton Fane, you kind of need to wash yourself with a chapter on, on uh, Tom Marilyn, get that stink yeah. off you. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, something else I noted here is that, um, you know, Egwene being sort of uh, volunteering for apprenticeship with um, Nynaeve to mm. be a wisdom um, and then also, you know, asking um, Tom for stories about Len flying to the moon. Rand thinks to himself internally, he's like, you know, she's displaying all this um, talk of adventure and, um, you know, sort of showing a, a already a desire to break free from what is expected of her in this little town. Um, and as you read on, you realize you know, that is exactly the case. Like, you know, she she basically invites herself on yep. the trip. She rocks up out of nowhere when they're trying to leave the inn in the middle of the night, which we'll get to soon. But um, she definitely is showing some backbone um, and a desire to to break out of this little this little bubble that is Eamon's Field or the Two Rivers. So she pulls a Samwise Gamgee there. Yeah. All right. So, um, Morris, isn't it... Uh time for your chapter recap it's time for winter nights <laughs> this is going to be a great episode of the show um <laughs> it's um it's the first uh, sort of like actiony um sequence that we get in in the story i mean i say it's the first as if we've been waiting for it for ages but it's pretty early on in the story hmm. it's still in the first day of the story the sun has just risen and <laughs> set. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so I mean, 12 hours have passed yet. I think this might be all in episode one. It, it could very well be. This yeah. would be a nice way to end it. The chapter is basically um, uh, Rand and Tam hit the road. They take Bella back to back to the farm and they get this sort of like mid to late afternoon. Um, and Tam, being the, the farmer dad that he is, is like, okay, well, sun's still up. Let's get to some chores. And Rand has to like stable Bella. He does some hoeing of the vegetable garden. He um, eventually starts chopping wood uh, and he gets so sort of um, zoned out and zen about chopping wood that uh, when his dad taps him on the back, he realizes it's, it's gotten dark. Uh, and Tam's saying, come inside, let's get ready for some supper. So as they come in, Tam gives gives Rand a couple of chores, you know, boil some water for the kettle and everything. But um, oh, that afternoon, also Tam just sort of does a circuit of the farm, holding a spear, mm. like he's walking around, looking at the ground, obviously looking for you know tracker signs of anyone being there. Um, he takes a cautious sip of water from the well and then realizes, okay, no one's been here and everything's fine. Um, that's when they set off on their chores, and then when they go get ready for supper, uh, Rand notices that Tam. Um, goes and finds the big iron key for the front and the back door and he locks the doors and Rand sort of is a little taken aback at that because he's never done that. Um, and while he's also preparing the kettle, he hears Tam upstairs scraping from the room upstairs, which he can only imagine is Tam pulling the chest out from underneath the bed, which Rand in all his life had never seen Tam do. Mm. Um, and then when Tam comes back downstairs again, he, um, he's wearing a sword belt with this beautiful um, sword with a, a bronze heron on both the scabbard and the hilt. Um, and when he draws it and he shows it to Rand, Rand sees that it's like a slightly curved blade um, with one sharp edge. It's basically described as something resembling a katana with a slightly different um, hilt. Mm. And um, well, this the sword is obviously something special. I mean, the, the heron marks we obviously know now mm are the marks of a of a blade master um the the blade master swords now correct me if i'm wrong i think are power wrought some of them are and others aren't some that were made after the breaking of the okay. world are just made of the best quality swords that you can right. buy but there are power wrought ones are just just regular ones right because uh, rand notices that it basically looks like land sword except it's got these herons on it um, and then while they're getting ready to have supper, there's a thud on the door and then it gets smashed in and a, a trollic 
comes in the door and it shields its eyes. Now, just before that happens, when when Rand is describing or when you are told of what the inside of the, the sort of kitchen area looks like, um, they mentioned that Tam was extravagant with the candles and that he had lit a large fire. And later in the chapter, Tam mentions that he knows that Trollocs are blinded by bright light. And I have to imagine that he specifically made it bright in there, even if it isn't Trollocs, to sort of confuse or disorient anyone coming in from the pitch black of outside into this bright room. So if anyone attacked them, they would be blinded by the light. Just another indication of Tam's sort of, you know, just knowledge. He's a sharp dude. He knows what the fuck he's doing. But isn't this something that that goes back to that meeting they were having in town that they had discussed about the the rider and like they had taken the boys seriously because there had been four reports or something about this? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I mean, he's walking around with a spear and he went and got the sword and he locked yeah. the doors, right? So he knows something is up. But this is just like a cool trick that I that I'd never noticed before. You know, uh, like okay, make it super bright and you know, because you know if you walk from a dark room into a bright room, you know, it is kind of hard to adjust your eyes. So anyway, the trunk bursts in. Rand throws a kettle of boiling water at this thing's face. And while it's still screaming about the hot water, Tam kills it. And um, immediately behind it, another one bustles in. Tam kills that. So um, um, he shouts to Rand to run away. And Rand runs to the back door, which is now locked. And he can't get out of it. So he looks out the window. He opens the window. And as he jumps out the window, the back door comes crashing in. And Trollocs from outside burst into the the back room and rand has now just jumped out the window so do you guys think that is a result of him being taverin the fact that this one time the door is locked and he can't get out of it is when trollocs are about to burst through it from the other side and he goes out the window and misses them completely and they don't even see where he's gone (laughs) probably (laughs) he jumps out the window he runs out he um he runs into, uh, I think he runs towards the forest and then quickly doubles back and does like a belly crawl back to the barn area so he can keep an eye on the house. And he hears a lot of commotion, obviously. And Tam jumps out the front window and lands on his feet. But instead of running away, he runs to the back of the house because Rand reckons Tam heard him there. Rand shouted from there that they're coming in from the back before he ran away. Um, and then Rand shouts at him again from the sort of barn area. Tam cottons onto where he is and sort of pretends as if he's shouting to someone in the forest to run out of there mm. um, and, and follows him. And then the Trollocs follow him into the woods. So he's completely misdirected them. Um, so when things have quietened down a bit, Rand sort of sneaks into the woods again, but then he feels a hand on his mouth and it's, it's Tam that mm. sort of found him in the woods again. And Rand's about to struggle free and Tam's like, whoa, 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 slow down, buddy. Don't hurt me. You know, I've forgotten how much you've grown in the last couple of years. Um, and they start talking about, you know, like what's going on. Tam gives him a couple of clues about like, you know, they can smell, Trollocs can smell really well. Um, they can hunt by sound. Um, you've got to be extra, extra careful. And even in this exchange, Tam sort of starts sagging down and lying down. And he mentions that he's got a scratch and that, you know, there's nothing much to be done by it, uh, for it. Um, and Rand says, okay, cool. He's going to quickly sneak back to the house, get some supplies, and they can make it back to town. Um, so before Rand goes, he grabs Tam's sword. And he quietly, quietly sneaks his way back into the house, gets back in the house, sees a couple of dead Trolloc bodies. Um, when he's made sure that it's safe, he goes inside to get some stuff. And then he hears, you know, some scuffling behind him and one of the Trollocs has gotten up. Trolloc tries to convince him to stay there, jumps on him. Rand's got the sword. Actually, Rand has the sword out in front of him. And when the Trolloc says, no, no, it's fine. Don't worry. The Madral just wants to talk to you. I mean, <laughs> come on. Rand actually puts his, his hands down by his side. And then as the Trolloc lunges at him, he brings the sword up again. So he is fast enough to actually react uh, without any kind of training to have this Trolloc impale himself on the sword. Rand works himself out from under him, gathers a couple supplies, goes back to find Bella and the cart, but Bella is gone uh, and the cart's wheels are smashed. So he decides he's going to make a pallet and he hacks off the, um, the struts for, for the cart to to use in making a pallet. And um, it's like, I think they describe it as old ash wood or something like that. And he hacks both of them off. But then he looks at the sword and it doesn't look dull at all. Like he, he realizes that mark. he dulled. Yeah, it didn't leave a mark. It's still gleaming. Um, which is why I thought that maybe this is one of those power wrought um, 
I think it is, yeah. Blade Master Blades. Uh, he gets back to Tam, and Tam has really deteriorated. Tam is, is looking really, really bad. Um, and that's pretty much where we end. Um, mm. He doesn't even make the pallet and take him back to town yet. It's just like, okay, here you are in the forest with your dad who's dying because he has a uh, Tam even says, uh, oh, at least the weather is warming. And Rand thinks, um, no, I'm still freezing my nuts off. Um, <laughs> it is freezing. Yeah. And he realizes that his dad's got a fever and he touches him and he can feel that. Yeah. He's really, really sick. And the only wound he can find on him is that little scratch along his ribs. Um, yeah. And then steals himself for a big night. That's kind of like a trope in all fantasy things, uh, fantasy stories about these blades of the bad guys that if you get cut by them, it happens in the Lord mm. of the Rings as well. Uh, we know later yeah. on that uh, Payton Fane's dagger from Shadow Logoth as well. Like a lot of, like, just don't get cut, I think is the... <laughs> if they're going to cut you, just let them kill you. That's step one. A um, lot of, lot of um, inspiration from Lord of the Rings, obviously, throughout the series. Yeah, so that's um, that's basically the last chapter that we'll cover today. Is there? I mean, that's straight action, right? There's not an awful lot apart from the sword and maybe hints at Tam's past that you can glean from that. Um, just a good old-fashioned action fight sequence and uh, flight into the night. Now, there's something you mentioned there as well when you when you mentioned that, that he has uh, Rand has no training, but yet he's so quick. Uh, uh, technically, I think he has an eternity of training. Uh, <laughs> in his mind touche yeah touche uh, he's been training for forever literally so yeah maybe yeah. that's coming through i mean he's Tavirin as well uh, he's got a lot going for him <laughs> there's a lot of otherworldly things uh you know protecting him this sure is yeah we didn't touch on uh tam teaching rand about the void and the flame yeah. which becomes a very big part obviously of Rand when he starts channeling uh, his ability to channel in on that and uh, Tam says to him fill your head and put all the anger and hate and fear into the flame until you become a void and there's only the void and the flame uh, which is uh, a topic that goes all the way through um, mm. Which is the same technique that Tam uses at the Beltane Festival every year to win the archery competition. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. he's got skill because he fought many wars and killed many, many people. Look, I mean, for Tam to possess a blade, a Heronmark blade, you have to assume that he was a blade master, and that because the only way you get them is by defeating another blade master and taking their sword. I, I believe. I hope so, because that sounds cool. Now, if perhaps this the, the reason why Tam is not so touched on in the entire series, as we all had hoped, is perhaps Robert Jordan, in the writing of it, as he had with New Spring and the rest, maybe thought of a separate story to go back and tell that story of Tam and the war and finding Rand. That could have been possibly in uh, the woodwork. I, I would read it. I would definitely read I love it. Tam. Yeah. I love Tam. Yeah. Um, I, I also like how uh, at one point when Rand is talking about his bow and walking back to the farm, there's no way that he can walk with a bow um, drawn because besides Rand, only Tam and maybe a handful of other people can actually fully draw at once, let alone hold it drawn. And that's just another hint at those, um, those two river bows that are often mentioned uh, these guys use like really big long bows and can shoot incredible distances with incredible accuracy. Um, and I just like that Rand is already proficient with this bow that very few other people can actually even use. They can't even draw it. So, yeah, that reinforces that thing about these boys are, you know, they're farm boys, um, but they they are very, very capable, at least physically. Now, do you guys believe that as we've got it in this uh, recording, this podcast, that this is potentially how the first episode would run, uh, ending off with this and the dread of Tam busy dying with a fever and saying, all right, roll it credits, next episode? Possibly. Because hmm. this is enough enough to fill up an episode. I mean, how many chapters is this in the book? Like six, I think? Five, six. yeah, six prologue chapters. and five chapters. So six in total. 
yeah it seems short in the book you get through it really quickly and a lot of a lot of shit happens along the way i mean very quickly like you said there's a lot there's mention of of dark friends and you know shadow spawn from the beginning and all the stories about the agent legends huge information dump but i think as a tv show because you also meet all the main characters a lot of you know character introduction in this that can be done as well and then end with a big bang of them fighting trollocs at least i hope they don't just you know show a trolloc bashing through the door and then wait until next week screw you nah, nah, yeah. that would be terrible <laughs> they get it. they're gonna do it Bob my words i read in some cartoon news that they um have cast a character that only appears in a new spring so there is a possibility of either flashbacks mm-hmm. or maybe even starting the show with you know um the amelin seat at that time doing you know doing that sort of speech about the dragon being reborn and dropping dead um oh. you know that that is when rand is born on the slopes of dragon mount um that's when a new spring is set it's where it mm. starts um so they might actually you know hint at that maybe you even see tam find the baby or you know a set of hands reach down and pick up a baby <laughs> who is it oh. you know yeah, yeah. Well, it'll be interesting to see but we have to wait so long but Oh, well, it, we've got something to keep us busy, don't we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, and then some. Um, so, favorite moment. Do you guys have a favorite, out of all the material that we've covered in this episode, uh, what would you say is your favorite moment or your favorite thing or your favorite concept? For me, it's definitely the suspense buildup of Chapter 1. It is set so beautifully. It is set so scarily dark um you feel that tension if you read it the first time you really feel anxious um, and i suppose it comes along with uh, me reading this for the first time after the first release of the fellowship of the ring so you had a sense of the nazgul in your head it was already mm. a bit of fear there and uh, it's it was very it's point for me that how how much tension and fear is set in there you could feel what Rand filled when he gazed into the black face and he felt that hate and his arms started prickling it's uh totally you also mentioned um there's no there's no animal sounds yeah the wind is blowing you know like they're walking down this rocky quarry road uh, there's no sound in the forest all around them and this cold wind is tugging at their cloaks and then this mysterious rider appears who doesn't seem to be affected by the wind it's all it is there's a lot of tension there's tension in the town as well i mean there's sort of excitement about beltine but there's also this undercurrent from the boys um from payton fane when he shows up um the strangers are there the, the glee man you know everyone no one is just having a gay old time you know? <laughs> everyone is sort of sussing everyone else out and now you've got this information about this fade that's you know skirting the town and stuff you're right like that tension is palpable how about you joe uh, definitely uh, meeting Payton Fane. Not, no. Towards the end, <laughs> the, the end of that, uh, where we see Tam, you know, whip out that Heronmark sword and and slice down a, a few trollocs, you know, as you do, just on a typical yeah. Sunday afternoon stroll. There's four bodies in the house when Rand goes back. I'm wondering how many more bodies were in the woods. Bodies they'll never find. <laughs> and the dozen followed um, Tam into the woods. But since they both still feel like they're, they're hunting them, who knows how many were out there. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I'm certain he took down more than four. Uh, yes. Yeah. And Rand got for his sure. first one. So, yeah, the, the action sequence, that, that for me. Because, I mean, but that that is the culmination of what Billy was talking about, all this built-up tension. You know something's coming. You know yes, from yeah. Chapter 1. Something is on its way, blah, blah, blah. And it's building up and building up and building up. And it's not just him, it's his buddies. And then the town council's talking about it. And then, uh, yeah, Heron Mark sword to the face. It's excellent. Love it. And then uh, Adventure breaks down the door. <laughs> As <laughs> it tends to do in these stories. My favorite moment, I would have to say, is the, um, the land reveal just when he's standing at the inn. Um, I am such a sucker for anything land related. His um, his whole persona is, I mean, it's probably a little bit stereotyped, this sort of cold, honorable warrior with experience and uh, is not scared of anything. 
Um, even his horse, you find out later, is, is like this <laughs> Man incredible war, war horse that you like in the fights is like biting at Trollocs and stomping <laughs> them to death and stuff. He's just like nobody else can ride him. It's only Lan. It's just um, when when reading it now, um, like I said, I was I was wondering like Moran is just talking to the boys. Why aren't they noticing Lan? Why don't they make mention of him? where is he? He's not there. He's doing his job. <laughs> at the end at the end of that of that scene he just moves away from the from the wall at the end and i'm like oh yes there he is my man i mean you he is such an influential character land yeah definitely still to this day i mean i'm i'm a 40 something year old father and for example the other day cutting stuff in the kitchen for dinner cut my finger and i made it such a big deal about it in the back of my mind i think would land make such a big deal about it this, <laughs> <laughs> this guy's been sliced to death a thousand times you know, be more of a man. Be like Lan, you know, still to this day, 20 years later. I thought that maybe after you'd cut yourself, you'd look at your children children, and think to yourself, ah, duty, lighter than a fair, heavier <laughs> than a mountain. <laughs> no, just I'm a huge wuss. I'm nothing like Lan. That's that's all I got from that. Cool. Okay. So um, I think that pretty much brings us to the end of our first episode. Um made it this far thanks um thanks for listening to our uh, inane ramblings i'm sure <laughs> that you've made it this far you are obviously also a fan and you can just nerd out with us um in our next episode we will cover chapters six through eleven um so ending at the end of the road to taran ferry I, Vili and I, I think have both read further than that already on this reread. And from what I recall, there's not an awful lot that is, um, that is made known. Um, but the event, the adventure certainly does, does kick off. So I think that's a good number of, of chapters for us to cover in the next episode. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, gentlemen, with that... We'll call it a day. So everyone keep reading and we'll see you next time.